you're listening to The Daily American. Now here's your host, Dan the Man. We're back with The Daily American. I just want to thank everybody that listened to last week's episode. We still got Mr. Richard Lohr here with us. In part one, he walked us through, you know, his humble beginnings growing up in the city of Philadelphia, Port Richmond, Kensington area. His mother dealing with some domestic violence from his father, his father being MIA, his stepfather being just as abusive, if not more, and then his mother being addicted to to meth. Um, definitely grew up with some struggles. He walked us through his childhood up until high school. Rich, welcome back. Hey, Dan. Pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you on here as well. Why don't you uh, kick us off where you left off last week in regards to right around high school? Awesome. So basically, you know, when I say I didn't, you know, I, I didn't grow up. Obviously, I grew up in this great country, the United States of America. Um, it's not a third world country. I, I know there's people all around the world that, uh, you know, grow up with, uh, you know, their water. They got their water is no good. They can't, you know, they, they live in a shack, etc. I mean, you know, I am so happy and proud and 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 um, honored to have been born in the United States. Um, but you know, I did grow up kind of like, I guess it, you could call it like, you know, uh, in a fucked up household with, you know, abuse, drugs and not in the best part, yeah. um, not, not in your, your local, um, you know, right. suburban neighborhood, like a great country, but in, in like the hood part of the city. Yeah, I just think it's so awesome how proud you are to be, you know, an American and born here. Yeah. I remember my father used to he wasn't born here. He was born in Italy. He came over here when he was 9, but so proud to be an American. And people like yourself are what makes this country awesome. Yeah, and I love it for what the country, you know, is. It's uh the brightest beacon of hope and opportunity, you know. Uh we're no better friend, no worse enemy. Um, you know, and, you know, united we stand, divided we fall, you know, and sometimes, you know, you know, right now it seems like we're, you know, we're kind of divided a little bit, but I, but I just, but I also believe, I truly believe in, you know, that we're more, you know, united than divided. And, you know, that's the way I see it. Sure. I think a lot of the divide comes um, from the media and what we see on television think a lot of it's a bunch of bullshit. I don't see the divide um, when I'm walking around, when I'm doing my job, when when I'm just living my life. It's when I tune into to nonsensical TV stations and right, exactly. they're preaching nothing but a bunch of bullshit and propaganda to strictly divide people. Exactly. Yeah. I don't I just I just don't like that divide and conquer nonsense that you get from uh, I call it the communist news network. Yeah, it's a bunch of uh, <laughs> It's a bunch of it's a bunch of bullshit. I will say the Daily American podcast. We try to stray away from politics, so we will do that on this episode as well. However, lastly, the United States is a melting pot, and, and that's why so love, is the so is the Daily American podcast. And that's so much what I love about it. The melt that's what makes this country so great. The melting pot of the world. I love it. It's so awesome. You know all 
all nationalities united together as one Americans, right? Hell yeah, brother. All right, kick us kick us off. After high school, um, did you end up graduating from high school? Yeah. So basically okay. what happened was is um, my mom, she was just really – she was just really starting to get messed up and she really couldn't take care of us anymore. And I was just getting tired of it. Cause I remember one time, um, she was, um, I had gotten my permit, my driver's license permit, and she let me use, you know how you're supposed to drive with somebody. Yeah. Until you get your actual license. Yeah, well, I think at 16, you can get your permit in Pennsylvania yeah. and then you, you're supposed to drive with somebody for six months, at least yeah. maybe a year. Well, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. But my mom, she didn't, she just let me drive myself. <laughs> So I'm driving some boat, uh, uh, Chevy Caprice, like <laughs> just got my like driver's permit. You know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. She, uh, she's supposed to drive with me, but I don't know, you know what I mean? She's too busy doing whatever she's doing. And I just got tired of it. Like she, one, one time I came back from my girlfriend's house at the time. She lived up in uh Percocy, PA and, um, I came back. My mom was sitting on the porch all messed up. And I said, Mom, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm okay. And she's I could tell she was all messed up. So then I go upstairs. I go to sleep. And then I wake up three hours later. And she's rolling around all over the bed, her bed and stuff. And I'm like, Mom, you're not good. So I call the ambulance. They come and take her. She goes into the hospital. And they pump her stomach with charcoal or whatever, I believe it is. They pumped her stomach. And she was most likely overdosing. I mean, I'm not positive. Yeah, I but. think so. Like I saved her life basically. Like, and, um, so I just got tired of it. So I called up my aunt, um, up in Hapro PA and I asked her, I said, you know, aunt Deb, Hey, you know, cause I had me and my mom and my sister had moved there with her before, but it was only for like a, a, a little bit at a time. But this time I was like, you know what? I'm done with this. Like I really, you know, I asked my aunt if I could move in. My aunt, such an awesome lady and her husband, uh, Uncle Wayne, um, you know, they were such humble and awesome people. And they, and they accepted me into their house and me and my sister, my sister ended up like leaving for some reason. I don't know why. I think she was just going through too much. So she had to leave and she went back with my mom, but I ended up staying because it was my senior year of high school and my aunt took me on. I was took me in and I just remember um, I went to Happer, I graduated from Happer Horsham high school in the summer of Oh four. And I just, all right. So here's a good quick story for you. So you know how like you're being transient all the time, your mom, you know, mom's moving around all the time. But so here I am at Happer Horsham high school. It, it's my senior year and no one knows me and I'm trying to figure out a way to break the ice. And I used to, I, well, I beatbox. Uh, so I, people, they kind of got around to knowing that I could beatbox. And I remember it was probably like three months into our senior year. And I was like, this is my perfect opportunity to break the ice. So I want a full on re I, I want an actual, uh, beatbox little 15 second. All right, cool. I, I want I yeah. want exactly how I need the story. All right. Awesome. Full throttle. I right, got you, brother. So basically, um, so all these people, like the kids that I was starting to get cool with uh, senior year, and they were like, you should go, You should. I dare you to uh, take the uh, the microphone in the lunchroom and beatbox in front of everybody. So I was like, you know what? All right, I'm going to do it. So um, the assistant principal, Mr. Kircher, he was really nice, cool guy, and he gave me the microphone. And I went up in front of the lunchroom, and I, they, uh, I got dual, I got like um, – 
challenge to a, a beatbox battle with this one other kid. He was a good beatboxer at the school too. So he went and he, he, he was okay. Don't get me wrong, but he, but I, when I went yeah, mediocre beatboxer, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. But then I went and the whole crowd was like, Oh my, like they went wild, like crazy. That was like my first, that was like my 15 minutes of fame, you know, like that. Like I literally had a concert going on, dude. Like I was like, when I say beat, you say box, beat, box. And the whole dude, everybody in the lunchroom <laughs> was doing it. Dude. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, let's hear something. Get, do like a little 10 second. All right. Ready? Yeah, that was nasty, dude. Bad, right? Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> yeah. Let's so, you, dude, just start beatboxing for the rest of this interview. <laughs> oh, I got you, brother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. No, so basically, um, make a long story short, with graduating uh, my senior year of high school, um, you know that actually that everybody in the whole high school remembered that so much that I was. Um, they said they made the senior T-shirt for our high school, and they said top 10 reasons why I'll miss Happer Horsham high school in 2004. And I was like number five. And it said, when I say beat, you say box, dude. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I was on the back of every senior t-shirt in the whole high school. Yeah, that's sweet. Dude. Yeah. So then I don't know. So basically um, here I am walking through the hallway at Happer Horsham high school. And I see these two guys in dress blues Uh-oh. At, a, at a folding. They're like, you know, like a folding table. <laughs> And they thought they said to me, you ever thought about being a Marine before? <laughs> I said, not until right now, no. <laughs> yeah, I thought about it uh, a couple nights ago when I was trying to fall asleep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I kind of, I don't know. I, I saw that there was a war going on because, you know, post 9-11, I thought about it a tiny bit, but I never gave it any real thought. So that was the first time I gave it any real thought. Then I said to myself, you know, I don't want to just, I didn't really have any plans. You know, everybody else is probably going to uh, Harvard or wherever they're going, you know, or Temple or wherever, UPenn, I don't know. So I, I didn't really have any uh, in in stone plans for after high school, and I didn't just want to be working at Walmart, you know. Not that there's anything wrong with people that work at Walmart, but I didn't want to just do that. I said, I want to really make something of myself. I'm going to, you know, and I said, you know what? I'm going to become a Marine, you know, the few, the proud, you know, a part of the few, the proud. So, uh Went through MEPS, um, everything. I was in a delayed entry program. And um, so then I graduated high school. And then um, July 20, I think it was July 22nd uh, that summer, I went down to uh, Paris Island. And uh, the rest was history. I'm becoming a Marine. Beautiful. Well, thank you for your service, Marine. Thank you for your gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. Brother, 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 Army guy. So, so then basically I'm at, here I am in Marine Corps boot camp. Um, you know, I was just, yeah, you know, I just, I, I just couldn't believe like, here I am. I can't believe I'm actually in Marine Corps boot camp. And I was, you know, and it was, it's tough. Let me tell you, you know, um, just having to like, just run around doing everything they tell you to do, going in the sandbox and everything is crazy. Uh, doing all those big, long humps and everything with all that weight on their back and everything um and i just remember all right so when i was 11 years old i was climbing a tree and i fell out of the tree and i broke my elbow 
And I thought about and so, but they, they cleared me to get into the Marines with that. But when I was in boot camp, I was trying to, I was like, I was happy I was doing, like, I was happy I was in boot camp. But like, you know how tough it is. You know, you didn't go through Marine Corps boot camp, you went through Army boot camp, and that's pretty tough as well. But like, um, one station unit training, it's called OSET for the infantry guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, nah, I appreciate you, brother, infantry guy. But uh, so basically, I was just thinking, like, dude, wh- I was thinking, like, maybe I can get out of boot camp by telling them my my elbows hurting too much, you know, because I had the prior fracture. But then I, here I am sitting. So me and the drill instructor went outside the one the one day, and he's like, "It's up to you. Do you want to become a marine or not, or something?" And here I am thinking in my head, I didn't come here for nothing. I could have gotten out right then and there. I could have said, you know, medically separate me. And I said, no, I'm not doing that in my head. You know, I said, no, let's, you know, I didn't say let's keep going. I just like gave the signal. Let's, you know, keep going. And I just remember probably like what, like a month later, here I am getting the Eagle globe and anchor in my hand, you know, like it, you know, it just was so surreal and so awesome. I'm glad I didn't give up. You know, that was like one of the initial, uh, crossroads of where i could have given up or i could have just said screw this and i didn't give up you know and that's kind of what built the momentum and then once i graduated marine corps boot camp i said it put the it put the it put that confidence uh, confidence in me to where i can do anything i put my mind to you know if i graduated if i became a marine which is not easy and i can do anything i put my mind to and that's where it started so then basically throughout my 20s, I kind of was just working, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life because I was in the reserves most of the time. I um, I did do one year active duty in Iraq and everything, but I was just in the reserves kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was, um, you know, just what I want to do for a living. So I just was working different jobs and I ended up going to Iraq in 2009 Um I was, I did motor T. So we basically went there on like a, uh, like a uh, retrograde mission that basically we were going because it was getting towards like the end of the war. And we were trying to gather all the stuff up from different fobs and like bring them back to Al Assad and like either ship it back to the US or they call it Dermo where they, they get rid of it. And um, so I drove a, a seven ton truck over there in Iraq. And I just remember the one time, uh going through this one area in iraq and i think it was near um where was it near uh ramadi we're going through through ramadi and how it was just like so there's just trash everywhere and like like sewage and you could smell like the smell of like dead bodies and so it was just all this nasty smell and they made us get out and like do like uh like a like security like walk around the trucks the convoy and stuff and it's just like i don't know it was just really depressing and then we so we basically get back from our convoy and then like uh we were supposed to be there for a six-month deployment but they ended up uh cutting our deployment down to four months so we ended up coming back a little early and um uh when we got back um i was thinking about, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. So I was thinking about like, what, what could I do with my money that I ended up saving while I was over there? So I ended up, uh, buying a mobile oil change trailer. I was going to start my own mobile oil change business. And that was like 
I was going to do that, but like, I don't know. I, I, was, I think in my early 20s, I was still stuck in young and dumb mode, you know, being going to Iraq, stuck in young and dumb mode. I mean, I was a, I had a good head on my shoulders. You're just kind of still, you know, stuck in young and dumb mode. And my mom doing what she's doing kind of took a toll on me. So I sat on the mobile oil change trailer for a while and I just ended up selling it like a dummy. I'm kind of glad I did to an extent because I probably would have failed. Like I was just too immature at that time. But um, my mom ended up. So basically what happened was, is I was trying to figure out what I want to do with my life after I left the military. So I was going, I went to Monco for a little while, Montgomery County Community College. And then uh, I went to an HVAC school down in Florida for a few months because I was just like, I don't know, I just got randomly wanted to move to Florida. So I lived down there for like three months. But then what happened was, all right, so let me backtrack a, t- a tad bit. So basically, I come back from Iraq. My mom's still doing what she's doing. Here I am. Here I am, a, you know, a war veteran, just served my country. And I got to come back to the, the nonsense my mom's doing. So my mom, um, she basically uh, was down the city doing whatever she's doing. Uh, and I remember she wanted me to take her down the city to do, you know, I knew what she was doing. So I said, no, I'm not going to take you down the city. I said, I'll take you to, to uh, McDonald's and buy you something to eat. I took her to McDonald's. We're sitting there getting something to eat. And then it was real. I remember like, so I was even that, um, so nice that I took her to Wawa as well. And I said, I'll, it was real cold out. So I said, I'll buy you a coffee. So I go into the Wawa to buy her a coffee. And I was like, so, and I was, you know, I was, so nice that I even said, you know what, I'll, I'll buy us two tasty cakes too while I'm in the store. And she's out in the car. So I leave, I left the car running to keep the heat going. So I left the keys in the ignition. She ended up, I go back out the Wawa with two coffees and two tasty cakes and the car is gone. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, <dude>. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. Did you eat both the tasty cakes? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah. I love tasty cakes, especially because they're from Philly. So yeah. But um so where was I going with that? So basically, um your mom's still doing what she Yeah, uh, so yeah, so she was doing what she was doing. So here I am, a, you know, I just got back from Iraq now. I'm dealing with this nonsense as well. So it made me all right, so here, yeah. So basically it made me want to move. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go to Florida, you know. I just got the random idea to move to Florida. So my mom stole my car and she ended up going to jail because of it. And then I had to go down to um, somewhere on in center city, Philly to traffic court and get my car out of the impound lot. <laughs> it was at an impound lot in Philly, dude. And the, the judge was trying to charge me $500 to get it out. And I said, my mom stole my car and everything. And he's, I hit, he was nice and he ended up wiping it off clean. So I got it out for free. And I was like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm going to Florida. <laughs> So I go down to Florida. I started going to HVAC school down there. And then, um, <clears throat> so basically, um, I don't know, I guess my mom was in jail and I felt bad. So I moved back up from Florida to bail her out of jail. It was only like 300 bucks. So I bailed her out of jail. And then, so I still had some leftover Iraq money. So I bought me, her, and I call my former a-hole a- a- stepfather. Cause I don't even consider him. You can curse on here. Yeah. Asshole stepfather. Um, but I got me, her and him an apartment in uh far Northeast Philadelphia in Somerton. And, um, that's when she started, I guess, to maybe do better. I guess I thought maybe 
what was going to happen was, is, you know, she starts getting her life really together and then maybe I'll get a house or something with me and her or whatever together. And then she ended up on December, it was December 1st, 2011. She passed away. Like it was basically because of all the complications she put her body through. And that really took a toll on me as well. So here I am, you know, my mom died at 44 years old, you know, just so sad. She had, she was such a great lady and very, and one of her biggest traits that I'll always take with me is she had like a heart of gold and like I, I instilled that into myself as well. And, um, so she passed away. Um, then, um, I ended up living in that apartment for like another year or so. And then. Just, I was working at the, as a blackjack dealer and craps dealer at the Parks Casino in Ben Salem for a little while. And then, so, <laughs> so here's, here comes a good part. Uh, so here I am. Uh, it's like the Marine Corps birthday one year. I forget when it was. I think it was like 2012 or something. Marine Corps birthday 2012. So uh, I'm down there having some fun, drinking beers and stuff. And I see this, this one dude that I met when I went to Peru. And, uh, this other Marine that I met in Peru was an MP. And I remember we used to play rock band together and everything. And we used to throw like throw the football to each other, but I hadn't seen him in a little while. And we, uh, reinitiated with each other down at, um, cookies in Philly. And here he is, um, uh, Mr. Valenciano. <laughs> so funny seeing him there in his dress blues. He's all half, half like messed up and yeah. So far, we're both in our dress blues, all like half tanked, you know. And then uh, we—that's when we got re um, re uh, initiated with each other. And I remember he he uh, asked me if I wanted to move in with him out to Downingtown. And I said, "All right, that sounds cool." So I ended up giving up my apartment in Philly, and I moved with him in Downingtown for like two years. Actually, yeah, like I think it was like two years, about a year and a half, two years, and. I still worked at the casino. I was going to Strayer University for my business uh, administration degree. And we decided one day we were smoking and joking in the garage. <laughs> smoking and joking. <laughs> Military term. And uh, drinking some beers. And we're like, well, you know, let's do something for uh, the community, you know, because I always had that. Me and him both have always had that vision of like wanting to make the world a little bit, a little bit better than you found it type deal. So we, he just, he came up with the idea. He's like, why don't we, you, know, you see these kids nowadays, you know, they don't come outside or nothing. And there's a lot less of them. I mean, they're, I'm sure they're out there, but there's a lot less of them than back in the day when we grew up, when we used to help out our grandparents or elderly people with handyman tasks and stuff. And yeah, they're all playing video games and watching uh, bullshit on, t- on TV, Netflix. Right. and Exactly. Exactly. So me and him, we saw We decided like, why don't we start this organization this charity organization called uh, the Granny Handymen, and I was like, "Wow, okay, that's awesome!" And we'll go out and do like small honeydew handyman tasks for elderly people or disabled people. And um, I just thought that was so awesome. And we we ended up like um, just I I used my car at the time. I had a 2012 Chevy Cruze, and I used that. And I, we got like some sign some. Um, some uh what do you call it like magnet um some magnet like uh uh business cards yeah business cards on the side and basically um we just did that and i remember we held our first fundraiser we were able to purchase our first truck to be able to go out and help more people and 
um, I just loved that time living with uh, Val and we were able to really bond like that and together. And other than just like, you know, being young and dumb Marines, having fun, we were able to bond with each other on the, the whole helping people in the community as well. And then, you know, I understand he, he, you know, Heather, his wife, she's a great, awesome lady as well. Um, you know, they want, they were getting married. So, you know, you got, you know, rich has got to go, you know? <laughs> So I get it. You know, I understand. <laughs> Sam Rich back to the slums of Philly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> nah, that wasn't the case. No, nah, I know. I know. Nah, I know. Uh, but, you know, they were like, hey, you know, we're going to get married. You know, you got to roll. I was like, okay, I understand. So I ended up moving out. Um, and um, moving out, I actually, I didn't know at the time, I didn't know where I was going to go. I just wanted to move to a nice place. So, you know, and I was still in a young and dumb mode where I need to have bars around me and stuff wherever I live. So I moved to Maniunk in Philly. And just, be, I don't know, I was doing Uber. I ended up doing Uber at the time. I was doing Uber for a while. I was also still going to Australia University and going to school and stuff, but I was doing Uber. And I was just being stupid, kind of like, I don't know, like thinking I'm like a, just being a young and dumb frat boy type dude. So like, I remember one time, um, going, I went to the VFW in Willgrove, uh, PA and nothing, nothing crazy. We're just having some beers, chilling, just playing uh shuffleboard and pool and darts and everything. And, um, instead of going back to Maniunk, I was trying to be able to go only half the distance. And there was a friend that was, I was out with that night that lived in Abington. So I said, okay, it's only like half, it's only uh, 15 minutes, half the distance versus a half an hour back to Maniunk. So like an idiot, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have drank and drove because nowadays what I, I think drinking and driving is selfish, you know, you shouldn't drive, you shouldn't drink and drive whatsoever. It's not only is it against the law, but it's selfish. You put not only yourself in, at risk, but you're putting other people at risk and you're driving like a two ton bullet down the road. That's very selfish. But back then I was, you know, still stupid. So I got in the car, I was driving and my buddy, he had, I didn't know where we were going. He, he, he was looking on his phone, like where we're supposed to be going. I'm like, dude, where are we going? He's like, and he's just like, he's all, you know, banged up too. So I, I said, okay, I'm stopping here. Um, and this parking lot was like a CVS parking lot was closed. So I go to out to pee in the bushes and little did I know there was a cop across the street waiting. <laughs> so I get back in the car, I'm driving. I could, and I, I could see that there was a car. It looked like a cop, a cop car driving behind me. I'm like, dude, shit, man, I got to keep driving, you know, just drive straight, be fine. And I actually made it all the way back to where I was to the friend's house that I was staying at that night. I pulled into the driveway and they turn their lights on and I was like, shit, man, I'm probably in trouble now. You know, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I get out of the car and I try to like say to them, you know, I'm a Marine veteran. You know, I'm not trying to cause any issues. And I guess because I'm a big dude, they took me as a threat. I don't know. And they, they tried to put me in handcuffs, which I, I ain't going to lie. Like I was res- resisting arrest, but I mean, I wasn't trying to cause any issues. I wasn't trying to, do, you know, I'm a, I consider myself a general giant. Unless you really want to try to mess with me, then, you know, I can go into Richie Monster Hulk mode. But, but for the most part, honestly, I'm a what gentleman. Do you, would you just call yourself <laughs> Richie Monster Hulk mode? <laughs> but that's yeah, all I, I want to like, see that. Dude. I don't no. want to see Richie Monster Hulk mode. No, that only is like, you know, all my worst enemy type people. I don't use that at all. And, you know, 
that's on like if somebody's really trying to cause me bodily injury, that's the only time you'll see that happen. That's just the marine to me, you know. Yeah, if your life's in danger. Yeah, exactly. So you got you. So you got a DUI. Yeah. So I got ended up. Yeah. So I ended up getting a DUI. Um. So then I here I am. I'm just real depressed because I know that I'm going to have to go through this nonsense. And and but the great thing about it is a few months later they figured out what they were going to do with me. They put me in um veterans treatment court in uh montgomery county so they my my um the uh what i had to do with the what i had to do was basically the contents of what i was with the requirements of what i was gonna what i had to do to fulfill what they you know the veterans treatment court was i had to go live at the va for nine months which i did and I got to see all the uh, benefits of the VA. And I, I just, you know, a lot of people, they try to talk trash on the VA. I'll tell you what, I, I love the Coatesville VA. I think it's a great VA. It just depends on what kind of veteran you are. You know, I think all veterans, they should, they deserve all the, you know, treatment. But uh, some veterans, they just, uh, I don't know. Some veterans, they just kind of, I feel like they, they talk down about something that's actually a really good service, you know. Maybe back in the early days, it was kind of sucked, but I think the VA actually really stepped their, stepped their game up, and they and I and I'll, I'll give kudos to the Coatesville VA. They did a great job, and I remember just remember being there, um, just going through treatment, and um, uh, they gave me a uh, like a, a job where like I it was it was called um, compensated work therapy where I worked, and I was just kind of working, going through treatment, and then. I stayed there for nine months, and then I got ended up. They built a brand new uh, veterans apartment complex up in Spring City, Pennsylvania. So I ended up moving there for uh, about two and a half years, and so I was on probation for a while. But once I ended up uh, graduating from probation in uh, the summer of eighteen, I got my license back, everything, and um, I ended up getting a job at uh, a place called uh, Leading Edge Composites. And I, th- I thought that was a great company. Uh, we be- basically made um, composite parts for the aerospace industry. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it was out in Coatesville area near um, Sikorsky. So I worked there for about a, a year and some a year and a couple months, and I loved that job. The only issue was is I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit ever since I was thirteen. Like this one guy, Italian guy, I worked for, awesome guy. His name's Edward DeAngelis, awesome guy. Uh, he's one of my probably one of my greatest mentors. He he instilled that entrepreneurial spirit in me, and I just um, you know when the mechanics like remember I tell you I would take the cars apart and stuff when I was younger. Well, I figured I liked to work with my hands and my head, not just my head or not just my hands. So I feel like you know a building trade would be something great for me, like electrician or HVAC or something. So and also you can you know run your own business doing it as well down the road once you like really get like hone your skills so i said you know what i want to that's what i want to do long term so i ended up putting my two weeks in at leading edge they didn't want to see me go the one guy he was a great guy um paul Irwin. what a what a great manager at leading edge composites um he gave me the option he's like do you want to really want to quit or do you want or do you want to stay and i was like i'll just go should i stay or should i go now (laughs) yeah exactly so I ended up going and I, I was basically my plan was to go into uh, electrician or HVAC school and the pandemic ended up happening. So that like, 
you know, everybody's plans got shot down for a while. So basically I ended up doing Instacart for like six months. I think the keen thing is though here, Rich, is that you, you were always, you know, you may not know exactly, exactly what you want to do or, you know, a long-term career, but you all, you've always held a job and that's, what's key. You weren't just like sitting around. You could have been, you know, mooching unemployment, um, no disrespect to anybody on unemployment that needs to be on unemployment, but you know, you, you weren't taking advantage of the system. You were out there delivering groceries and such and running people around and Ubers. And that says a lot about you. What are you doing today? So basically uh, today um, in the, uh, so my one buddy, uh, Matt McCollum, he's a great guy as well. I met him in high school and he's, he gave me the idea. Well, when I was like in my early twenties, I thought about doing truck driving, but I don't know what happened then, but fast forward to uh, tw- 2020, my uh, buddy, Matt, he gave me the idea cause he works at UPS and he said, well, if you get your CDL license, he's like, they're killing it at UPS. Like the um, feeder drivers are making like bank. And I said, all right, well, let me go see what I can do. So I called up, uh, this one company, uh, it was like a truck driving company and CR England. So that's the company I work for now. And they're a pretty awesome company. And they told me once my DUI was over five years to call them up. And I said, okay, awesome. And I, I thought that by me getting my CDL, like it's, it's like, you know, I, I know for sure I'm not, you know, I'm done with drinking and driving. It's like, you know, it's some young and dumb, stupid stuff, but like it, not only that, but like by getting a CDL, it kind of gave me something to know that I can lose to where like, I know I'll think like 10 times before I drink and drive. If you know, by knowing I have a CDL. So basically I, um, my five years was over from uh, getting a DUI. I ended up, uh, getting an opportunity with, uh, CR England and, um, went to the truck driving school out in Indiana, uh, and basically, I've been uh, out in Ohio for the last six months working for uh, Dollar General, like uh, delivering all their their uh, goods and stuff, like the milk and the ice cream and the pizza and everything. All the stuff you see in the freezer section, I've been delivering. And um, not that I don't like Ohio. Don't get me wrong. I actually Ohio's grown on me, actually. But I, I the reason why I got into trucking is I wanted to see the whole country, you know. And I love this country so much, I wanted to go see it, you know. And I feel like, you know, I'm still young, uh, well, younger. I'm, I'm on the older spectrum of younger, I, I feel like, but I'm still young. So while I'm still single, well, I don't have any obligations. I'm going to go see the country for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, truck drivers, I didn't realize that truck drivers can make bank, dude, especially when you don't have to pay rent or nothing if you're single. So I decided, you know, I'm going to do that. And so actually I'm going to be going to Texas uh, tomorrow as we speak. Uh, I'm going to get my new truck and I'm going to be traveling the whole country, all the 48 states, lower 48 states for uh, the next two years. And then I'm thinking about I'm going to get into the uh, an HVAC apprenticeship down at uh, Delaware County. It's called um, Pennsylvania Heating and Cooling Contractors uh, Association down in Delaware County. So that's what I'm going to do once I turn 38, because I really long term want to get back into HVAC and hone my skills in that yeah don't don't think too far ahead just you know be proud of the fact that you're getting ready to travel the 48 states and make a decent living doing it um like you say you don't have any obligations and i'm certainly i'm certainly proud of you um 
you enjoy your time on the road and, you know, seeing every single state. I haven't been to every state. Eventually, before I clock out, that would certainly be something I'd I'd like to do at least at least see every single um, state. I think they're all a little bit different for the most part. Yeah. Um, different accents and. Well, yeah, exactly. People. For example, uh, you know, us from Philly, we say water. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, in Ohio, I, I asked. I was going through a drive-through somewhere, and I asked uh, for a water, and they looked at me like I was retarded. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly different accents and everything. But uh, long story short, so uh, long term, you know, I, I I remember I found God. You know, I accepted God into my. I've always been like a godly type guy, like you know, a little bit here and there. But I officially accepted God into my life um, when I was uh, in 2017. And uh, this guy passed. Uh, his name's uh, Barry Banky. He's like a good pastor, my another mentor. And he accepted me into his life, but I long term. Well, he accepted me. He got me to accept God. Like he took, he he showed me like the path of like a good godly life. Basically, is what I'm saying. And he, um, so long term, what I want to do is I want to find a a nice woman in the church, settle down, and uh, be you know uh, finish my HVAC apprenticeship and. Uh, just uh, maybe run my own business down the road in that and just live, uh, you know, happily ever after nice, godly, you know, decently godly life with a nice, decently godly woman. And, uh, you know, maybe invest in some real estate down the road, maybe uh, buy a uh, vending machine business. I don't know. <laughs> some stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty awesome. I think you got some some solid aspirations. Um, I got one question for you before we wrap up. What happens when you die? <laughs> What happens when I die? Um, basically, um, I know I'm going to heaven because um, I accepted God as my as my you know heavenly Father and Lord and Savior. And uh, although I'm not perfect by any means, I'm become I'm consistently working on uh, personal development, and um, I hope that I leave a uh, legacy. Maybe, hopefully, for my kids. I don't know. We'll see. Something along those lines. If God shall have, maybe let me have kids in life. I don't know. Dude, that's an awesome answer, Rich. And, uh, you know, I appreciate your time tonight. You definitely gave the audience some insight of who Mr. Richard Lohr is. And I want to welcome you back anytime. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Love you, man. Love you, too.